What's up, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have a returning guest. She was so phenomenal on my show last time that I just had to have her back. She is an author, a podcaster, a blogger, a motivational speaker. She is a life coach that helps people learn how to cope with their mental health and their self-worth. So it gives me great honor to introduce to you again, and hopefully not for the last time, Sue Bowles. I know that you are an author, a speaker, and you're a certified life coach, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what it means to be a life coach. So can you explain what that is? Sure. And when I first was encouraged to look into it, I had a negative opinion about it because I didn't know much about it either. And Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't want to be something that I felt was like a snake oil salesman. So I did, of, I, did, I did a lot of research, a lot of research on it and found, found the right school that lined up for me for what I was looking for. A life coach is someone who helps basically easiest way to put it is for what I do as a life coach. I help you when you want something better for yourself. That's the easiest way to put it. So if there's something that you are working on currently, be it maybe there's some relationship stress or uh anxiety or uh, stress management or some kind of goals or relationship issues or communication or identity or boundaries, anything like that. Those are all things that a life coach is able to help you with. Life coaching is different from counseling in that I am not a licensed therapist. I don't do diagnoses. Counseling deals with dealing with things from the past that affect you and helping you bring it to the to the present so you can operate in the present and, be, and, and heal those heal those past wounds. Coaching deals with things that are happening in the present to help you to get where you want to go. That's probably the best way to describe the difference is, is that the things I work on are very much present day situations that are causing stress, causing anxiety, causing conflict, and helping helping my clients, helping people learn how to navigate those, build their life skills with that, and then be able to move forward to get where they want to go. I'm glad you broke that down like in that way. Um, I know a lot of people are confused with that. So when you are dealing with someone in the present and you see that they're starting to tap in into their past, is that when you go, wait a minute, you're, you're going in a direction that I'm not, you know, able to help you with do you say that to them or do you actually try to help them at that point or do you lead them somewhere else it there there are there are clear-cut guidelines that i have and and ethical standards in place for Mm -hmm. what i can help someone with and what i'm not legally or ethically allowed to do to help with now i am still bound by some of the mandatory reporting things this as anyone is in terms of harm to self, harm to others, abuse, those kind of things. In terms of I'm working with a client and, and it seems like over the course of a few conversations, we keep digging into past situations where it's, it's pretty clear there's some trauma there or something that's still unresolved from the past. That's where we start talking about, is that something better handled with a counselor? Now, it doesn't mean that I can't still coach. But, okay. you know, it, 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 but what I coach on is, is different. So you know, the, the, I, I've had clients who are, who are seeing a counselor and they're dealing with, their, with the things they're struggling with there. But then what we're coaching on are current situations. Maybe there's, they want to have some kind of life change and they're not sure how, what steps to take to make that happen. You know, what do I need to do first? Maybe there's uh, you know, some kind of relationship conflict. I, I worked with a mother-daughter team earlier this year that had a really big conflict after COVID last year. So, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, so it really just depends on what the situation is. If it's something where it's clear that, that, that it is not something that falls under the scope of life coaching, my next obligation to the, to the profession and to the client is to then help them line up with someone. I had a phone call last night, someone who uh, found me on psychology today. Is looking for a psychiatrist for their for their for their girlfriend, mm-hmm. 
Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not qualified for that. But what I was able to do is while I'm on the phone with them, I was on the Internet and looking up local air, local resources. And the gentleman gave me his email so that I could email him a PDF file that was online for his area that had 15 different res 15 pages of resources. So that could get him going where he needed to go. It was obviously something that I'm you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't deal with medication. I don't do med management or anything like that. So, but I was able to help in that regard, help him get where he wanted to go. Okay. Now, I know that you, from a personal standpoint, live, deal with um, a lot of um, mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, can you um, explain like some of the stigmas that are around uh, mental health? Yeah, because that's when I speak, that's what I speak against. That mm -hmm. I, as a mental health advocate, that's what I want to help break down. One of the biggest stigmas is that there's there's shame and embarrassment around it because uh, how, how to even explain it? It's really easy. <laughs> it's easy when an injury is visible. So, you know, mm -hmm. and so when you break your arm and it's in a cast, it's something visible that everybody can see and everyone can understand. He broke his arm. Okay, it's healing. But when the injury is in the mind and in the heart and in the emotions, not everyone understands that. And out of that sense of, of, of misunderstanding and lack of understanding, that person responds, usually in a not real helpful way. And I believe over the course of, of decades, that's where that stigma has come from. Now, yes, way back when, in the days of the asylums, when people didn't understand mental health, it got a really bad rap and, and the people didn't know how to deal with it. Thankfully, we have come so very far. And honestly, all of the athletes and, and the high visibility people, musicians and doctors and actors and actresses and, and the talk show hosts and everyone who are being open about it have really helped catapult breaking down the walls around mental health. We have a long way to go. Don't get me wrong, but when you have Simone Biles and Michael Phelps and Demi Lovato all coming out and talking about the different struggles they have had and so many others, that goes a long way to starting to normalize the conversation. And the more we can make mental health a topic of everyday conversation, that stigma will start to drop. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to wear on their sleeves whatever they're struggling with. You know, mental health is a private issue because mm. it can't be seen. And because many times it's rooted in some kind of trauma or addiction or wounds or abuse or anything like that. And there are, there are things with that that we struggle with within ourselves, first of all. Mm -hmm. Try to blame ourselves. What did I do wrong? How could I have prevented it? When... Honestly, the answer is most likely nothing. You did nothing wrong. But we still play that game in our own head. And because of that, we keep a lot of things private. So I understand mental health is a private thing. But at the same time, what I can do as a life coach, as a speaker, as a mental health advocate, and as one in recovery myself, is share my story to help make it part of an everyday conversation and to make it normal that it's okay to not be okay. I was just thinking that that mental health, uh, unfortunately, should become more of the norm, treated like any other issue that people have, any drug addiction or anything like that. It, it's, right. You still need to pay attention to a person's needs and learn how to listen. Yeah. I, saw, I saw an article online this morning on psychologytoday.com that said globally, depression and anxiety are on the rise as a result of COVID. Globally. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think people have such a hard time understanding mental health disorders? That's a great question. I think a lot of it is lack of, lack of understanding, lack of education. Um, you know, the stigma certainly, certainly pays into it, but I don't know that people understand or under, I, better way to put it. I don't know that people fully understand the connection between the brain and the body. And that when, when say for example, when there's a trauma in your life, it literally rewires your brain 
and how you process things. And that affects your emotions and that affects your communication and that affects your relationships and that affects how you interact with people. And that can even come into play in the job situation. So I don't think people understand that, that connection, but here's the good news is that you can also learn to rewire the brain as it heals, the brain rewires itself as it finds it's the right path for it to start working. There's a lot of scientific evidence out there. You can go on the internet and Google it. You'll see different brain scans of the different, diff the way a brain looks when it's trauma versus healed and, and you know, tra tra traumatic, a brain from a person who's experienced some kind of trauma versus the brain of someone who hasn't. There is a significant difference. And I don't think people understand that. Right now, trauma is a big buzzword. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm never going to downplay trauma. At the right. same time, that word can be used in a very flippant way. And, and I never want to disregard the depth of that, of that word and the woundedness that is tied to that word. Mm -hmm. But I, I, think, I think a lot of people don't understand because they don't, also don't understand that, um, you know, the brain is an organ. You know, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder. And I still remember the day that my brain finally started to clear because I was finally feeding it the way it needed to be fed because I was mm -hmm. eating in a balanced way. I never knew that half of my brain fog was because of that. And, because, mm -hmm. and, when, and so there's so many different tentacles, if you want to use that word, there are so many different aspects of it that because the brain is such a complex thing, no one's going to fully understand it. So when, when a, 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 just a, a common Joe across the street comes across something and they don't understand the complexity of the brain and how it can affect so many things, it's very easy to just make a comment that does more harm than good, not out of malice, but simply out of lack of education. Now with the holidays, as I was screaming mm -hmm. and yelling about earlier, <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the holidays coming up, it's hard for people because they're going to be dealing with things that they may have lost due to COVID, whether it be family, job, or what, or in just their own state of mind, just life mm -hmm. changes, period. Mm -hmm. What advice can you give them right now how to deal with all these first moments and first, just the holidays period, what advice can you give them? Sure. And, and I can certainly understand it from a grief aspect. This time last year, we were starting our round of firsts after losing mom. Uh, mm -hmm. So I fully understand that and still remember it. And Facebook reminds me of, reminds me of it every day right now. Um, mm -hmm. But that also helps me see how far I've come. So that, that's encouraging in that regard. So I can certainly understand it from a grief aspect. I can also understand it from just a, a family conflict issue or loneliness or anxiety. I can understand it from a number of different angles. That My suggestion would be the same for everyone. It's going to look different how you play it out. But first of all, have a plan. What is your plan? for how much time you are able to spend with people and build your calendar around that and just be upfront about it. And you don't have to explain why, but if you only have two, if you can only handle two hours of social life right now, then, then, then say that, you know, I'm only able to stay for a little bit of time. So I'll be able to be there from this time to this time and put that out there well in advance. So everyone knows that the people that really want to see you, also plan accordingly because there are people that want to see you. And if you will respect them and let them know what your boundary is in your time, they are also able to make sure that they get the time to see you because you, they love you and want to see you as well. In addition to that, having the plan, if you go somewhere, like say it's a party, say it's an office party or a church party or anything like that. Um, and you don't want to be there together. You don't want to be there alone. And you take a friend with you. Have a safe word. If you're just getting burned out, you just can't take it anymore. Have a clue word that you're going to tell that person. And that's their cue 
to be able to get you out very discreetly. So, you know, hey, you know, we were supposed to be over here in a half hour ago or something. However, you guys worked that out. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the other thing. It's okay to build in alone time, but don't let yourself stay alone. We are built to have connection. So build just balance that time out. Know what your boundaries are. Balance that time out. Give yourself that time to recharge, but don't totally isolate and still build in however much time you can handle in giving it to other people and communicate that clearly and then stick to your boundaries. And if it ends up you're having a good day and you can go beyond your boundaries, go for that and enjoy yourself. Give yourself permission to have fun and give yourself permission to have some downtime too. Now, how does one push themselves to not stay isolated? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. isolation makes them feel safer. Mm -hmm. So how does a person push themselves and those that are around them, should they try to push that person to come out of isolation or should they just leave Mm -hmm. them alone and let them work it out in their own time? That is a tightrope act. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's a tightrope to be, to be, to be walked. It's out of a heart of concern and love that someone wants to bring somebody out of seclusion, bring somebody out of their isolation out of, out of, out of whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're in that frame of mind of, I just don't have it to give people, it's difficult to see it from that angle of this person cares about me because usually by then the brain is just wiped out. You're very distracted. And instead the brain might be thinking, leave me the heck alone. Yeah. I don't want to deal with you right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, that perception versus the intention are two very different things. And even how that time is navigated does a lot for relationships. And that's where that clear communication has to happen to be able to protect yourself from them beating yourself. Oh man, I'm such a, I'm such a screw up. I just did this. I shouldn't, shouldn't have. Now I'm going to have to go clean up this mess again. And you heap it on yourself as compared to, Again, in a moment when you when you have when you're a little calmer, you have some more time, you can think some things through. Again, comes back to having that plan. <clears throat> Be, come up with a couple lines of how you want to explain it. Of, I appreciate your concern. Right now, for me, I need this. Check back with me tomorrow at this time. And that mm-hmm. way, it, it does two things. It does a few things. One, it respects the other person's concern for you. Because that's why they're reaching out is they're concerned for you. It also gives you the permission to say, right now is not a good time, but I'm not going to totally shut the door because this person cares about me. So I want to set my boundary, but then also allow a little time for them to check back in. That then gives me time to prepare my headspace that around this time I'm going to get a phone call. Mm-hmm. And then I'll know how to plan. And then it's up to you how open or honest you choose to be with that person. Everybody needs, I have a friend that says, everyone needs a few people who would tell us when our jerk is showing. And, not, <laughs> and I'm not saying isolating is being a jerk. Right. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is that my friend, when she says that, is talking about the power of community and the power of authenticity and the power mm-hmm. and strength in, in some genuine relationships. So when we have those few people in our lives and we are struggling, trying to get through the day, get through the holidays, get through this time of life, whatever is going on, that's those people. Those are those people that you want to be able to lean on that you've already established or are starting to establish a relationship with where you can say, all right, this person I'm going to trust and I'm going to tell them I'm going to trust them. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, you know, there's going to be a sacred trust. But at least I have one person I've let in that when they ask me how I'm doing, I know I don't have to give the Sunday school answer. Oh, I'm just fine. <laughs> you know, instead, I can say, you know what? I'm just really struggling right now. Yeah. And, and I don't know what I want or what or what to do or how to handle it. But I just need to tell somebody and you win. Mm-hmm. That's That's a great answer. Excellent answer. Okay, so not enough with those kind of questions. Let's talk about you. Let's catch up with you and everything that you're doing in your life. So I don't, for these, this is more for the people who didn't catch you the first time. Um, 
you've written this great book. I actually won an award last year. I did not know that. You didn't yes, tell did. me that. I'm Shame sorry, on you. Did. Shame on you for not telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about so much. It's easy to let little details slip. This is true. But it's a great book. So I'll tell everybody about the book. All right. Here it is. Let me get the right get the, get the right yeah, angle. There, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> These cameras, you know. I know, right? <laughs> left is right, and right is left. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is called "This Much I Know: The Space Between," and it is on Amazon and Kindle. The award that Lillian was was alluding to, it won second place nonfiction at the Faith and Fellowship Book Festival last year. Thank you. This time last year, I found out I was an award winning author. So uh, that was uh, it was a surprise, and I was really honored. It's it's my first book. I self published it. The fact that it won an award is very humbling and very encouraging as well. And the book is my story. It's, it's my first book. I'm, I'm working on book number two. I have plans for books number three and four already as well. Awesome. It, yeah, this is where I get in time to get it all from my head to the paper. <laughs> so if somebody can just go like this and read a book, I'm in good shape. So. <laughs> but the book is my story. I have a lot of trauma in my background and it took a long time to deal with it. And this is 2021. And quite frankly, it was only 2014 when I really started doing the hard work of healing of something that happened when I was seven. That was early 70s. So that's uh, over four decades. So when I talk about trauma, I'm speaking from a personal experience. But the book, um, the, the book shares my story is the first half. And the concept behind the title, with this much I know, is each of us have a story. That's the one thing nobody can take from us is our story. It's mine. It's yours. It's mm -hmm. your story. And that much I know is my story. The space between is the healing journey that God took me on to start dealing with my story. And, mm -hmm. and, and the second half of the book talks about that. A lot of it happened um, as I mentioned before, there is a retreat program that is near and dear to my heart called Walking Stick Retreats. And we just had a retreat a month ago, so I'm still all smiles about it. <laughs> Next one's coming up in April and mm -hmm. uh, anyone's invited, open invitation. So anyway, but the book talks about the healing journey and about and about just, just some of the first steps that God took me on. You know, the first step was I had to own my story because Quite frankly, I was in denial about my story. I didn't like my story. And I figured if I denied it, it would make it not true. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way. So I had to own my story, first of all. And that was huge because when there's th when things happen to us, you know, the brain, as we said earlier, is a very complex organ. And, and it will find ways to protect us. In a lot of way, a lot of time when that way is to shut something off, shut something down, deny it, downplay it. And that actually does more harm than good because that reaction is more of a reaction and a brain response to the trauma because it doesn't know how to process whatever just happened. Mm -hmm. So it's you, know, you hear the fight or flight reaction. That's what that is. But then from that. I then had to grieve my story. And that's something we don't talk a lot about is that trauma, anything that has happened that is a loss in some way, loss is a huge continuum, but there's a sense of grieving that needs to happen. And I had not grieved my story. I had not let myself feel the loss of all the things that happened. Mm -hmm. But then from there, it, so the next step was realizing that I'm valuable to God. And it was when I started realizing and daring to believe that it was true, that's when things started to change for me. That's when the book started really getting written. That's when so much started happening. When I dared to believe that I'm valuable to God and what I have to say has worth that's when things change. So the book, the book goes into a lot more detail than that, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and it's, it's, it's been encouraging. It's been very humbling to read some people, some of the comments on Amazon when people leave reviews. I think it's got 18 or 19 reviews right now. 
and uh, just reading some of these stories is uh, very powerful. You know, some of the comments, uh, it's very humbling and, and uh, very, very rewarding at the same time. Was it hard for you to write about you that way? At the start, yes. Um, the books, the books started out more as wanting to share life lessons that have been learned and kind of telling a story and then having a synopsis, you know, lesson learned. And then mm -hmm. as God started working on my heart and doing my working on me and healing me, that's when the book took on a new, a new way. It actually became very therapeutic. It, it became very cathartic to write. Um, mm -hmm. It was also scary because some people in my family didn't know all of my story at that point in time. They all do now. They are amazingly supportive. Uh, awesome. There's there's no, there's nothing. I, I still have the picture of the day I gave my dad his copy of the book. And I'd already given him the manuscript before it went to print. But mm -hmm. then I gave him his copy, too. And, and there's just this this wry little smile on my dad's face as he's writing, reading what I wrote inside the book and everything. And he's like, Aww. I'm reading my daughter's autograph book. Aww. So, you know, it's it just a treasured moment. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 was, it was actually very helpful. Um, it, it took some courage. It was kind of scary to put it out there. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's worth it. It's well, while it. you were writing, was there like parts in there that you was like, oh, my God, I forgot all about that? As yeah, that writing happened. it. That <laughs> happened. Yes. Uh, it's amazing what the mind remembers. I also mm -hmm. learned a lot about myself. I, I have a better understanding of myself and, and how messed up I was, quite frankly, um, mm -hmm. through as a result of writing this. You know, for example, I did not I didn't my I didn't put together some of the aspects of my eating disorder until I was writing in the book and then subsequently speaking. And, and the, the thing in particular was that activity became my number. You know, everyone, it, when you have some kind of trauma, you're trying to numb out for something. I numbed out through activity because my eating hmm. disorder was the manifestation, the outward behavior of what was going on inside that I didn't have words for. But what ended up happening is that if I stayed busy, let me back up. I learned through writing the book in college, I got my sense of self my sense of worth by being seen. So mm -hmm. I would intentionally do things just so that certain people saw me because then I knew they cared. And that's what I mean, seeing, see already how worked out it was. But again, that's just where my brain was at this moment in time, at that point in my life. So activity allowed me to be seen. So activity became my number because if I was seen, I had worth. And if I had wow. worth, then, then, then I was valued. And you see how all that went. So, mm -hmm. so if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think because here's my activity level, but underneath here is everything else churning. But if I kept busy, I didn't have to deal with this because I stayed busy. I didn't have to think. If I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with all the stuff going on underneath. So it was, I, I lied to myself and I lied to others because when I was seen, I had value. So I was over involved in college and that made me feel like I had value and was important because I had a lot of responsibility and I was coordinating these all campus events and I was doing this and doing that. And inside I was dying. So mm -hmm. I learned a lot about myself when I was writing the book, but it was actually really really good exercise. Not that it was intended to be that way, but mm -hmm. it's really good in that regard. So those time, those quiet times, those are the times you probably just like broke down, wasn't it? Like those were like, oh, what in the, I, like did, you had to actually sit there and deal with your trauma or traumas when things were still. And that, and is that the time where you was like, I need to find something else to do? Uh, you're talking about in college or when I was writing the book? In college, in college, in college. In college, I didn't know what was driving all this. I had not, okay. I did not remember the traumas. I hadn't dealt with them. Uh, the trauma, the particular trauma came in the, the, from when I was seven came out to my dean of students, who was like my confidant for four years. And that came out, I think, probably a couple months before I graduated. It was not oh, planned. Wow. It just kind of came out in the conversation. 
mm-hmm. in a very cloaked way. And, mm-hmm. and thankfully, Ed was very skilled and, and knew to ask a couple questions. And that's when it came out. And I didn't didn't know it was going to come out. Wow. Hadn't planned it. Hadn't even really remembered it. Wow. Um, yeah. So, but you know, that was just God. That was just God. And what was really cool is I think it's about seven years now. No, 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 a couple of years. Yeah. When the book came out, um, I got a chance to give a copy of it to Ed Highland. And, and actually, oh, Ed Highland is my dean of students. He's retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I mailed him a copy, but I've been emailing him about it. But even long before this, I had a chance to go back to my, my alma mater, Defiance College in, in Northwest Ohio for homecoming one year. And Ed met me for breakfast that morning. And I got a chance to tell him personally how impactful he has been in my life and how much that day set me off on a whole new trajectory. And I didn't even know it. And it was the hugest privilege in my life. Who doesn't want to know you've made a difference in someone's life? We all want that. Yeah. But how many people have the opportunity to tell the person that had that influence personally and in detail how their life affected yours? Yeah. I had that privilege. Yeah. And it, it, it's something that uh, it just meant the world to me. And I can tell by from Ed's response just that he was very appreciative to hear it. You know, he was, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody he didn't expect they impact to impact somebody if just yeah. Not one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, so. so which goes into your program, uh, my step ahead. Yes. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> what do you want to know? Everything. <laughs> I can tell you everything. Everything and everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Well, my step ahead is my business name. Mm-hmm. And my speaking, the coaching, everything happens under my step ahead. And the concept behind that, it, 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 came, it came from a teaching at church. I was changing churches in 2015. I was at the new church. I was still kind of still kind of checking it out. Um, and I was interrogating, you know, in, in the process of this, I was interrogating the pastor a few times just to make sure it was the right place. And once I had signed on and changed my membership and everything, he was doing a teaching about growth and, and he asked the question, what does it help? To, what does it take to help somebody else grow? And because all of us think we have to have it together. I have to be qualified. I have to be a pastor. I have to be certified. I have to be ordained, all these other things to help somebody. And his mm-hmm. point was, no, you just have to be a step ahead. And that really latched on to my heart and, and it has become my business. And, and the concept is this. While we, we form a human chain of support, and when we say all you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you, is I'm here where I am in my story right now. Mm-hmm. There is somebody else who is just starting this journey or is a couple steps behind me in their journey. With the knowledge and experience I have, I can reach back to help and support them while I'm still reaching out for help and support for my stuff. And between that, there's a human chain of support. That's what my step ahead is about. It's about it's okay to not be okay because you don't reach out for help and support if you think you got it all together. But when you you understand that it's okay to not be okay, it makes it more acceptable in our minds and easier to then say, all right, I need a hand. One way this came into play was earlier this year. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost mom October 20, October 5th, 2020. This past year, April 2021, a friend lost her father tragically uh, on Easter. Mm-hmm. So myself and somebody else went over to the house the next day. And there was concern expressed because I was, was, I was only six months into this with losing mom. And I wasn't doing real well at that moment. Um, and there was concern expressed of, you know, Sue, is this too much for you? And I said, well, I guess we're kind of going to figure this out, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out. And I went there. <laughs> and while, while there were tears, within the context of that hour or so we were at the house, the person who had lost her dad started settling in and just having conversation and feeling very comfortable 
asking what can be awkward questions. And she asked them of me. And it was, what's the funeral home going to do? We have to do this. Do they do this or do I do this? What do I expect? What about this? And, and, and that meant the world to me because I wasn't that far ahead. Yeah. But at least that much I had already been through. And I could only speak from my experience, but it was enough to at least try to help her along the way because I was a step ahead. Yeah. That's what my step ahead is all about. You don't have to have it all together because I still don't. I'm a lot better now than I was six months ago. But even mm -hmm. just this week, the last few days, I'm having all kinds of memories of mom. A lot of us, thanks to Facebook. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> You know, it, but, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to arrive. You don't have to have somebody else tell you that you are now qualified to do something. You have lived through an experience that someone else is now experiencing. Therefore, you are qualified. Yeah. That's what it takes. Yeah. Life makes you qualified. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's what you do with that qualification mm -hmm. is what matters. It's, right. It's, and, that's and, and what we, matters. And we can only operate within the bounds that we know. You know, I, I wasn't going to try to tell her this, this, or this about these different details because I don't know. I'm not going to fake that. I'm not right. going to disrespect her by trying to make her feel better. All I could do was answer the question to the best of my knowledge with my experience and mm -hmm. preface it with, from my experience, this is what happened. It may be different from you, but, you know, this is what happened for us. Right. Just to at least give a little bit of help and a little bit of idea of what to expect. So she wouldn't feel completely alone in this right. one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And just to take away some of that anxiety. I mean, I know what it's like to have the brain running like you cannot believe 24, 48, 72 hours after you lose someone. Holy smokes. Yeah. Because you don't I, even I, get a chance to really grieve. You're, you have to go oh. into business mode. Yeah, they don't allow you, you to grieve. You, you have right to be in it. business. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. Now, what do you want us to do with the body? Now, what do you want this? Now, what yeah. about this? Like, what about, about like, the service? Jesus. And everyone wants to know when's the service? It's like, yes. can I breathe for five minutes? Yes. And the, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. what really cracks me up. I we just found out. I don't know when the service is. When, and, when and, I find out, I will let you know. And and, and yet, there, you you find tactful, graceful ways. I mean. People are asking because they're concerned. Yeah. They love you. They love the person that was lost mm -hmm. and they want to express that love. So the intention is nothing ill at all. No. The timing mm -hmm. might be a little off, but you have, to understand. <laughs> you have to understand. You don't have to, but it, it's difficult to put yourself in the mindset of understanding that at the same time, while you are this deep in grief, the other person's mm. up to here in grief and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it too. And the best way they know how is to reach out and say, I care about you. I want to see you. When's the service so I can see you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, mm -hmm. but yeah, in those moments, you know, now thankfully for us, that was not the case in that um, we had, been, we had notice of what was going to happen. You know, we knew we need to honor mom's wishes uh, when mom mm. for, for our mom, she had had a number of health, you know, what we call near misses for about three years. So we had set because we have such a large family. I have one aunt and uncle that had 13 kids. So I have, I probably have 40 or 50 cousins just from, well, 13, probably about 25 to 30 cousins just on Jesus. mom's side of the family. And that's just first cousins. So, and you get the extended friends and everything. So we had set up a Facebook group um, where we invited people in. We just called it the you know, mom's health, up, health updates. So we were able to post in there once things started happening. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. the texts were blowing up and, and it was just nonsense. Like, who am I texting? Which one? Who did I just say what to? It was just crazy. Mm -hmm. So for us, it, it was it was more controlled because we had that. And because um, a mom's situation, she had had a catastrophic stroke. We knew what needed to happen. She was very clear in her living will about that. And mm -hmm. even without that living will, we knew what would have needed to happen. It's just, it made it a lot easier though, you know, when right. there, was, there was no guessing because we'd already had these conversations. Um, right. But so yeah, when those, those first few days, when people are responding, it's out of love and it's out of their own grief. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is a challenge to try to figure out how to balance that out a little bit and how to respond appropriately. And most people are gracious and they understand and they're trying not to invade too much. So that's true. That's true. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it can be very overwhelming at mm-hmm. that time. And you just kind of go on autopilot. Yep. You just oh, yeah. answer, answer the questions, take care of the business, mm-hmm. and just till I hate to say it this way, until showtime. And then then the and crash then doesn't show, come till after it's all over. After and, it's and, over. And, and, and when people leave, you know, we had we did mom's service a week uh, the Monday after she passed, and my mm-hmm. brother from, from Maryland was here until Wednesday. So he mm-hmm. left Wednesday and about you know, I, I had to go back to the office on Thursday, but I was just like, I got nothing. So I I, I just kind of, then they were so totally cool. I'm like, if I shut my door, please understand. They're like, not a problem. But yeah, right. it's the crash comes. Absolutely. So what would you love to accomplish more of in your life? Uh, what would I love to accomplish more of? Mm-hmm. My vision and, and and I don't say this in a haughty way. Mm-hmm. I have a vision to go to to develop a national speaking tour. Okay. I, I I am I am, and again I don't say this in a haughty way at all. I am a good communicator. I speak well, and I believe there are things that God has put on my heart to communicate to a broader audience. I've had this vision and this dream for a while and it's, it's starting to, you know, it's starting to happen. The speaking, mm. the podcasting, the coaching, all those things are starting to happen. But when, 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 when this, when this blows up and becomes, comes to fruition, I'm talking state, you know, like audit, not auditoriums, but I'm talking like arenas and I'm talking yeah. the old style eighties thing where they do an invitation and you've got counselors and you're going backstage to a room and you're talking with people and you're praying and you're getting follow-up and you're getting them knit into churches because I think that's, you know, Christian concerts are great for entertainment. We've lost the evangelistic aspect. We're we're singing to the choir. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. while I might be speaking to the choir, I'm also speaking to a different choir that still needs to hear a message Mm-hmm. And, and that 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 hopefully will resonate with them. But I've got ideas for you know the worship, for a, a, a drama. I, when the song by Mercy Me, the Hurt and the Healer came out years ago, mm-hmm. for the first two weeks I heard that song, my mind immediately went to a drama, and I've got it all scripted out and ready to go. It's it and really? just yeah, just ready to record it and, and videotape it when I get the cast and the crew and everything together. So I have all these things. So where would I like to see this go? I'd like to see it blow up. That's what I'd like to see. Well, not, I, believe not for God, me. I believe God's gonna do it. Well, well I know it's, it's not, not for you. Not for me, but because I, I believe that. that God wants to do something with this message. Mm-hmm. I believe it is a unique message. And for the longest time, I was hacked off at God. Why would you let this happen? Why did this, you know, and just didn't make sense at all. Yeah. Now I'm understanding that he did not abandon me through that. He didn't make it happen. It was the result of sin. But here's the thing. He has restored me. He has redeemed the time. And he has allowed me to now have a story that reaches many, many people because I can relate to so very many things. Any one of these things is a lot for one life. And for the longest time, I was mad. Why did all of it come my way? Yeah. You know, childhood rape, other sexual abuse, suicidal, parental divorce, eating disorder, all these things, dysfunctional home, you know, all these different, that's six things right there. Mm-hmm. All of them, a major trauma. And yet, by the grace of God, I sit here and yeah. he allows me to share my story. Because he wants other people to hear the hope. That's why my website says I'm a voice of hope. Because that hope pulled me through. And now I want to be for others what others have been for me. Yeah. Well, I believe he'll do it for you. Because one thing I can definitely say, this you're not doing this for self. You're not doing this for mm-hmm. fortune or fame. 
you're truly doing this because you want to help others because you want to be a step ahead. Yeah. I want to help others take their next step. Yeah. I, that's why I, I love you. <laughs> Thanks, Lillian. <laughs> I'm going to buy your first ticket. All right. Here's what I have to do. When I go on tour, when we start booking this whole deal, I have uh -huh. to make sure I have, make sure I have the current list of, of everyone who's had me on their podcast and give them the ticket. That's right. <laughs> Just kind of, I mean, at least let me be top 10. <laughs> right. I know you got a big list. This will be being the top ten, and I'll be okay with that. <laughs> so, with all that being said, I want what's next for you? What, what you got coming up next? Hmm. Well, immediately you got shows coming up. Yeah, well, I've I've got five podcasts I'm recording just this month, and I, I've got a couple more next month, and I'm continuing to book into December and January right now. So, so yeah, so uh, if anyone has a podcast and some, whatever I speak resonates for your audience, please let me know. I would love to talk about how I can possibly help you reach your audience. Uh, but immediately this weekend, uh, November 5th and 6th, I'm at a women's conference down in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio's down in Springdale. It's called the Great Story Ministries Conference. And I'll have a vendor table set up and I'll have my book there. I was there last year as well. And mm -hmm. it's a great opportunity to get to meet people and, and, and hear their stories and encourage them and, and hopefully help them in some way. Uh, I've got a friend actually going with me, a friend named Lisa, who runs a 501c3 out in Newark, Ohio called Healing mm -hmm. Our Warriors. And it's a one day event for anyone. They've had people from New York and Florida, I think, coming in for this, just all over the country coming in for it. And it helps people better understand where anxiety and depression and and all those things come from and how to start helping themselves. It doesn't heal everything, but at least makes it more manageable so then they can go ahead and, and continue the process of healing. So I've teamed up with Lisa. Uh, with with She does that event once a month, and it's no charge mm -hmm. for anybody. And then I come in and do a four-week follow-up coaching session with any of the attendees who want to participate to help help the, the seeds that are planted that day, help them water and take root. We might be talking about boundaries or communication or goals or, or whatever else is, is, is on their mind of however I can help best them apply what they're learning. And then so Lisa's also going to the conference with me as well. Uh, let's see what else I got. You know, like I said, I got podcasts. I am uh, working on book number two. Uh, mm -hmm. is, it, I, I don't have a target date yet. Um, I also had to take a year off. Uh, I'm, Michael W. Smith said when his dad passed away a number of years ago and he wasn't able to write music or create for a year. And mm -hmm. I'm understanding that now. I'm just getting to the point where I have some mental and emotional energy to start looking at the book again. Um, so I am looking forward to, forward to getting that done. I would love to see it come out in late 2022. Um, you know, like I said, I got a lot to do. I have a lot in my head that's not on paper yet. <laughs> and then, um, you know, just, just continuing, to, continuing to, to coach clients. Um, I do offer a 15 minute free consultation. If anything we've talked about here resonates with you, please go to SueBowls.com. There is a form there. It says, you know, book consultation. Uh, just sign up for a 15 minute. It's free. We can talk, learn a little more about what it is that you're, you're wanting to grow in and see how I can help you. Uh, I would love to love to see my email box blow up with that as well. If you could have any song be a theme song when you walked into a room, what mm. would it be and why? I have thought about this one too. When they talk about you know, when you do keynotes and, and you know, speak on stage and stuff like that, what, what's your, what they call it your walkout song? Right, right. Still Standing by Melton John. Love that song. Because... I am still song. standing, you know. Yeah. You know, looking like a true survivor, yeah. feeling like a little kid, you know. <laughs> you gotta walk out with some pep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, because no matter what has happened, yeah. no matter how many times I've been knocked down, I am still standing. Yes. And now I'm standing solid. Yeah. Oh, come on now, solid. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. See, that's why you're on here again. Oh, and you're coming you. back again. Oh, I am. If you want to come back. If you want I to would back. love to come back. <laughs> we're going to have to really figure out what we're going to talk about if we're doing this a third time. Well, we'll figure something out. We will. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, so what I hear you saying, using one of my coaching skills, is that mm -hmm. come January or February, we're going to be booking something. 
That is what you hear me saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's a coaching tool. (laughs) So you are on all these social media sites, correct? If people want to. All right. So if y'all want to find her out and look into her life, she's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Are you on Twitter a lot or? Um, I'm working on Twitter, but and, and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is all under my step ahead. And then mm-hmm. there's also a Sue Bowles coaching page on Facebook as well. And then mm-hmm. LinkedIn is just, it's just me, Sue Bowles. So yeah, okay. it's just me. Okay. But most importantly, if you need any help and you want to talk to her, um, you said you offer the 15 minute free, yep. um, consultation yep. and go to her website, shoot her email, um, we all can need another ear to listen to us, an unbiased ear, if you will. So she is definitely that person to do that with. Thank you, Sue, for being on my show. You always bring such a deep and personal insight to mental health that we should not be ashamed of what we've been through, but to grow through what we've been through. Did you know World of Church Girl is live? That's right, Rolling Church Girl has gone live. As a matter of fact, this very episode was recorded live. You can see it on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitch. And if you would like to be on Rolling Church Girl or just learn more about yours truly, go to www.rollingchurchgirl.com, shoot me an email, and let's see what we can do with that thing. What are you waiting for? This show is only going to get better and better. Hit that subscription button so you will never miss another episode. And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.